a supercomputer says we're all, all of us, going extinct. And it even has a date. Mm, we'll talk about that coming up. New York says Big Bro is a good thing because New York, it's just so screwed up. And DHS, that would be the Department of Homeland Security, screws up background checks. It's just full of this unbelievable junk tonight. Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. Hello. Happy Wednesday. We're halfway through the week. And it's, uh, it's a Wednesday. Here in Malaysia, it is 10 o'clock at night, wherever you may be on the planet. Uh, most of you have started your Wednesday anyway. And uh, we got lots coming up tonight. We will also continue with Chapter 2 of our brand new book, White Fang. It's an old book, but it's new to us. We read books on this show for the second half of the show. And uh, yeah, we will have that for you. Published originally back in 1906. It's a amazing story of white fang uh back in the day a lot of kids were made by their parents to read that book like treasure island white fang lassie yeah, those kind of anyway it's a great book i would encourage you to grab your kids and uh, have them hang out the last half of the show usually starts around 30 minutes into the show or so and then we uh, we go on we're on chapter two tonight that'll be fun all right it's time to get you updated on our favorite furry little Shiba Inu friend. Miko Update. Miko Update. There she is. <laughs> She's great. Doing fantastic. Uh, she ate her dinner. She ate her lunch. She ate her probiotics today, which usually is a fight, but it wasn't. And this was her just a few hours ago. She was hanging out in the door. And uh, had her little her little pre prissy prima donna legs cross thing. She's been doing that a lot lately. It's so cute. And uh, I put this up on on Facebook and said you'll find that life is still worthwhile if you just smile. Nothing like a Sheba smile. She's uh, three years old. If you're new to the show, you don't know much about Miko. She's been with us for uh, three years now. She was born December first, so she just had her birthday. Turned three. She's doing great. She is as stubborn as hell, but that's what Shiba Inus do. And uh, it was funny today because I ordered food delivery for lunch. Couldn't go out. And uh, the guy who uh, delivered it looked at Miko, who always has to run up and say hi to everybody at the gate. And he goes, oh, a chihuahua. And I just kind of let it go. And then he said, well, I, I, I love chihuahuas. He said, I said, actually, it's a, it's a Shiba Inu from Japan. And he goes, Oh, yeah, Shiba Inu. So anyway, she's great, doing really well, and eating us out of house and home. She is, you know, tonight, after her dinner, we give her a toothbrush. It's one of those doggy treats that cleans the tartar. I took it out early, and I put it on the counter, and she could smell it. She knew it was there. She was sitting in the kitchen, staring up at the counter, right at the, she couldn't see it, but she knew it was there telling you this dog's got the smarts anyway our miko update is brought to you by barkbox barkbox is a subscription service for your dog every month when you sign up you will get 
a bark box. Each month is a different theme, and inside you will find you can check small, medium, or large, depending upon the size of your dog. They will adjust your treats accordingly and your toys. But every month you get a box full of uh, toys, dog toys, obviously, dog treats, which are all natural, all good for your dog, and a dog chew, and it comes to you every month. You can sign up for a single month if you like. Try them out. You'll be back. Then you can sign up for six months or 12 months. And if you use our special link, BarkBox.com slash Miko, you will get an extra month free. That's the site right there. You're looking at it. Free extra month with a multi-month subscription. Exclusive offer to Jay Sheldon Show viewers. And uh, this is for anybody in the U.S., U.S. territories, and Canada. No international shipping at the moment. But there are ways around that, if you know what I mean. And uh, check them out, please. BarkBox.com slash Miko is the site. You will definitely want to uh, get yourself signed up and get your dog some amazing treats and toys every month delivered right to your door. Satisfaction guaranteed. They have an amazing customer service group there. And they will do whatever it takes to make it right if you ever are not happy with something in your BarkBox. So... Check them out, BarkBox.com slash Miko, M-I-K-O is our special link. Hmm. You know, I didn't mention this in our last show, and I usually always do, uh, begging for subscribers, but this show, in addition to being, of course, a live video show Monday, Wednesday, Saturday, and then the video replay is always available on Rumble, Twitch.tv, YouTube, and uh, Facebook. So, by the way, tonight, believe it or not, we made it on rumble.com so we are there yeah we had a few issues last saturday night i don't know why but we made it tonight so we're back live on rumble and hello got some folks watching over there right now on rumble we really appreciate that all right that's our main channel by the way no matter what happens facebook boots us off gives us a couple strikes youtube decides they don't like what we're doing no matter what You can always, always find us on Rumble. I would suggest strongly that you get yourself a free subscription over there and subscribe to The Jay Sheldon Show. And that way you'll get notified whenever we go live or put up a new video. Anyway, what I started to say was our podcast, which is the audio part of this show. You're likely listening to it right now if you're subscribed to our podcast. You'll find it on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Radio Public, whatever platform, Geo7 in India. Got a big audience over there. Hello, India. And uh, yeah, so check it out if you want to add another podcast to your shelf of listenable shows. Just search for The Jay Sheldon Show on your podcast platform. Hit subscribe and you're done. We get literally, we get hundreds of downloads every week. So it's fantastic. And we really, really appreciate those. It doesn't cost you guys anything. Helps out the show a ton. Believe me, it really helps out the show for you to do that. So if you are a a subscriber of podcasts, whatever platform you're on, just put in the search bar, The Jay Sheldon Show, and give us a click and a a subscribe. I really appreciate that. All right, enough of this crap. I think we've we've promoted myself enough for one night. (laughs) All right, we got a, uh, we have a computer with some AI who has decided that it knows when you and I are going to be extinct. Not kidding. The Earth could face a mass extinction event by the year 2100. 
And that's not really that far away. Imagine that. Supercomputer has predicted that more than a quarter of the species on Earth will die by the end of the century. A new study shows extinction will wipe out a quarter of the world's biodiversity. Experts blame land use, climate change, which we all know is just bullcrap anyway, and over-exploitation of resources. Maybe. Land use, probably. Climate change is bullcrap, so forget that one. Research published during the COP15 UN Biodiversity Conference in Canada. Mass extinction. Australian and European scientists have developed a virtual Earth. That's how this worked. That's how they came up with the uh, the idea behind this. Uh, it, it's, it's to better plot global extinctions. Uh, the results pointed to a loss of 10%, 10% of all plant and animal species by 2050. That's really not that far away. And by the end of this century, they say it will rise to 27%. Scientists blame over-exploitation of resources, land use change, over-harvesting, pollution. I'm not even going to mention this one because it doesn't exist. And biological invasions. Oh boy. 2050, 10%, gone. Scary stuff. The world's experienced five mass extinction events over the course of the history of the world. Experts claim a sixth one is taking place right now. Mass death of fish. Yeah. Well, it doesn't look like very mass to me. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. I've caused more than that on a good fishing trip. Anyway, scientists led a study rather was led by European Commission scientist Giovanni Strona and Professor Corey Bradshaw of Flinders University in Adelaide, Australia. They say the planet has already entered its sixth mass extinction event driven by human activity. Well, of course. Gotta blame somebody. Uh, children born listen to this. Children born today who live into their seventies. In other words, your kid's born today. If he lives in or she lives into their 70s, they will witness, according to these guys and a computer model, they will witness the disappearance of literally thousands of plants and animal species, from tiny orchids and the smallest insects to iconic animals such as the elephant and the koala. Using a supercomputer, Scientists created a world with more than 15,000 food webs to predict the fate of interconnected species. And as you know, almost everything is interconnected. And they say this supercomputer tool can map extinctions. And that's where they came out with the idea that we were all going to say bye-bye in the next century. The year 2,100. Well, chances are, if you're listening to this show, you and I 
aren't going to be around for it. But it's not that far after when you and I are gone. <sighs> so you'd think with an extinction event coming up, people might want to take it a little easy, not get too psycho, not be too crazy. Well, that might be true unless you live in Canada. We've talked about this idiot dictator Trudeau and this ridiculous politics going on in Canada. I just saw another story yesterday about this assisted suicide crap. It's just unbelievable. If you don't know this story, look it up. Put in assisted suicide Canada and you will prepare to be horrified. It is truly, truly horrible. Uh, here's the latest from these psychos. A PSYOPs officer. The Canadian government has a job listing for psychological operations. There's the dictator now. It is not a conspiracy theory. They posted a job listing asking for an experienced military member to train in psychological operations before taking on exercises with a syndicate to learn the best psychological tactics from around the world. PSYOPs, which typically refers to military government operations that intentionally mislead or confuse the population, often used as a precursor to changing the law, military action, things like that. And many point to false flags. You know what that is. Everyone talks about it these days. Multiple, uh, simple misinformation spread by government sources of examples. Merriam-Webster defines military operations, this is a, a PSYOP, military operations usually aimed at influencing the enemy's state of mind through non-combative means. Well, this PSYOPs officer appears to include an introduction on the scope of the state's psychological operations before putting the lessons into practice and practical environments. And the thing is that they are not using it on their enemies. They are using it on their own citizens. How long, Canada, are you going to put up with this nightmare? It's an open-ended question. But I would really hope that the answer is not much longer. Because these people... You think you've got problems in the U.S.? I would say at this point, yeah, you do, of course, tons of them, lots of them. Hopefully things will get fixed soon. But in Canada, I'm telling you, it's going from bad to worse. This link to this story is in our show notes. You should read it. You should check it out. You should keep yourself informed because some of our Elected officials, I won't call them leaders, because they're not. Some of our elected officials, and even that term is maybe a bit of a misnomer these days, are just taking you to the laundromat. Get a load of this one from New York. This New York City mayor, Eric Adams, who is a joke in and of himself, says... He supports surveillance, 
He says, Big Brother is protecting you. Mm. There he is. In New York City, political rather than professional considerations seem to be dictating the way the police will proceed in fighting crime, which is significantly up in New York, along with a lot of other democratically controlled cities, including the degree to which this will include the use of invasive technology. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Maybe uh, Mayor Adams didn't read the book because in dystopian form, he has basically just declared that Big Brother is actually the good guy. Namely, reports suggesting the mayor, now been in office for a year, has done almost nothing right, is well aware of how the city has spiraled into crime, 23.5% increase in crime just in the last year in New York City. The lawlessness allegedly came as a consequence of the pandemic measures that, among other things, exacerbated the problem of homelessness, anti-police protests, and the erosion in morale among the force. How about you untie the hands of the police officers and you let them do their job? And when they make arrests, how about you get district attorneys who don't just turn around and drop all the charges and let the people go? That, you know, Giuliani, when he was mayor, when he finally got elected, had a thing called broken windows policing. And the idea behind that is that somebody throw an old abandoned building, somebody throws a rock through the window. Who cares? Broken window, it's an old building. But that first rock that gets thrown just encourages the second and third and 50th rock to get thrown. And then the building starts to get torn apart by vandals. And then the next thing you know, it gets burned down by vandals. Whereas if you had prevented or arrested that first guy who threw the, threw the first rock, chances are turnstile jumping, for example, in New York in the subway system. Guy jumps the turnstile. Yeah, big deal. You're not going to chase him. It's just turnstile jumping. Then that guy who jumped the turnstile, who obviously has no regard to the law or the rules, gets on the subway, pulls out a knife, and robs somebody. If you had arrested him when he jumped the turnstile, that wouldn't have happened. That's what broken window, the basic 101 of what broken windows policing is all about. And that's why this idiot, Mayor Adams, needs to learn a thing or two about how to control crime. Because obviously, in spite of the fact he used to be a cop, a rather arrogant one, but a cop nevertheless, knows damned little when it comes to politics and crime. Mm. And speaking of people who should know about crime, how about the DHS, the Homeland Security? It would be the Department of Homeland Security. Well, apparently it is Homeland Insecurity. This is from JustTheNews.com, John Sullivan's site over there, fantastic site. The department has failed, listen to this, the department has failed to send crime data to the FBI database, which is used 
to vet gun buyers, creating a risk of wrongful firearms transfers, according to the warning of an internal watchdog. They failed, no, I don't want the video. They failed to regularly report the disposition of criminal cases to the FBI background database, which is used to vet firearms buyers, creating a heightened risk that bad actors may wrongly obtain guns. (laughs) Homeland's Office of Inspector General said the department's failure to consistently report data to the National Instant Crime Background Check System, NICS, violated the law in some cases and left a major gap in a background check system which has been designed to stop criminals from getting guns. If NICS examiners don't get disposition data to deny or approve a firearm within three business days, licensed sellers may transfer the firearm at their discretion. They send in the information. They wait. If it takes th- longer than three days, the firearms dealer can use his or her discretion whether or not to hand out, sell them a firearm. DHS not sending that data to NISCS. It's delayed. Insufficient responses to FBI inquiries creates a risk of wrongful firearm transfers. Four remedies recommended. Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas created an oversight office to ensure uh, DHS complies with the reporting requirements, a mechanism to track and ensure timely responses to inquiries, coordinate with the Department of Justice to better understand their semi-annual reporting requirements, and this is an odd one, the U.S. Coast Guard establish a process for personal service personnel service center to notify the coast guard investigative service of the completion of dishonorable discharges dhs says it will implement all four strategies but this is just you know it's the department of homeland security you would think maybe they would have a little better system Ah, man. Okay, we got to move on from this because it's just sad. It really is. All right, why is this shaking like that? I don't know. We're moving on to the fun stuff before we get on to our book. I just got a couple for you. One takes a little pre-sell here. It is amazing. Now, for some reason, hang on, this is flickering. So let me see if I can get it stopped doing that. No, I can't. All right, it's going to flicker. So just deal with it. I'm going to switch over to that shot now. There we go. See it flickering? All right. I also need to turn on the sound because you will not believe what you're about to hear. Here's the backstory. They took a James Webb telescope. You know, we talk about them all the time. An image of space. And all these little, these are all stars and planets and asteroids and things like that. What they did was they assigned a musical note or an instrument. This is so cool. Wait till you hear this. To each different color. 
you'll see there's all its red, blue, greens, yellows, browns, blacks. It's, everything has a color and a size. They assigned with a computer a musical note or an instrument to each one of those dots on the screen. And then this radar line here, let me get my, uh, let me get my mouse back. This little radar line right there. It starts there and it sweeps in a circle all the way around through all of these stars and planets. And it plays it as it goes. Listen to this. Hang on, let me start again. Insane or what? That is the star cluster Caldwell 73. Scientists assign sounds to different aspects of the image, and then the radar scanned through the picture and created that. That is amazing. You know, I love space stuff, the James Webb telescope, all things space. You got my attention. That is insane. There's a link in our show notes if you want to watch it yourself, share it out on your friends' pages or your Twitter or your Facebook. Do check it out. And if you can, if you have a system with a great sound system, other than what you're listening to now, turn it up because it has this human chorus background sound in there that's just absolutely amazing. It really is absolutely amazing. What a cool story. Check out that link. It's in our show notes. You will not be disappointed. Got one more for you. Then we're going to move on to White Fang and continue with Chapter 2. This is another good news story because, you know, we like to end you with something to let you know life is not entirely bad everywhere on the planet. A teenager was working at McDonald's and a mom pulled in with uh, three or four kids, her kids, in the back. They were all cranky. They wanted food. And after she ordered, she realized she didn't have the money to pay for it because she left her purse at home. That's the mom, and that's the teenager working at McDonald's. A heartwarming story that shows how the smallest act of kindness can make a huge difference. Brittany Reed, exhausted, overworked, she left football practice with her three children in tow. Her four-year-old was grumpy, and then her seven-year-old joined in. Everybody tired and cranky, decided to have McDonald's for dinner. On their way, Brittany pulled up to the drive through window, placed her order with teenager Wyatt Jones at McDonald's. In the car, all three of her kids were grumpy, cranky. While paying, making the payment, she realized something. On the verge of tears, when she got up to the window to pay, 
She looked at Wyatt and said that she had to cancel the order. Her purse was at home. Well, without taking a moment of hesitation, Wyatt paid for this lady and her kids' dinner. How about that? She was adamant to express her thanks in a way where the world would know about this amazing teenager who did such an incredibly heartwarming thing. She clicked his picture quickly and shared her story on Facebook. She also insisted on accepting cash that he paid for her bill then, but she wanted to do something more for him. And so she connected with his mother, who had no idea about her son's kind gesture. Wyatt's mother was definitely proud of her son, and later Brittany learned that Wyatt, Wyatt rather, was saving up for a vehicle. With the mother's consent, Brittany and her husband began a fundraising campaign to help the teen's dreams come true. They asked for donations on social media, and the donations kept coming and didn't stop, and left everyone, including Brittany, stunned. Wyatt not only wound up with enough money to buy his car, but he had some left over to save for college. This meal that Wyatt paid for, which amounted to, what, 10, 20 bucks? She came back with donations of over 40,000 USD. 40 thousand dollars this teenager Wyatt of course had no idea wasn't expecting anything he was just doing doing something kind from his heart paying it forward if you will and what he got back doesn't happen often but there's a return on a small investment forty thousand dollars that is incredible we love these stories. We love them. All right. You ready? It's book time. However, you're going to have to stand by for one little minute because I need to get the book open. I know. I should have prepped, right? Normally, I do. Tonight, I was jammed. I was very late tonight, and I don't know why, but uh, yeah. Anyway, we'll get on to chapter two. It's White Fang, written by Jack London, first published back in 1906. Loving the story so far, and it's only been the first chapter. All right, here we go. Did we get our uh, book title? We did not, did we? Can we pop the uh, the title of the book up there? Can we? Ah, there you go. Oh, that's one of the newer ones. You'll see them cycle through these book covers. We've got a bunch of the different published versions of the book, including the very first original one. So that's on there, too. All right. Chapter two, The She-Wolf. Breakfast eaten and the slim camp outfit lashed to the sled. The men turned their backs on the cheery fire and launched out into the darkness. At once began to rise the cries that were fiercely sad. Cries that called through the darkness and cold to one another and answered back conversation ceased. Daylight came about nine o'clock. At midday, the sky to the south warmed to rose color and 
marked where the bulge of the earth intervened between the meridian sun and the northern world. But the rose color swiftly faded. The gray light of day that remained had lasted only till three o'clock, when it too faded, and the pale of the Arctic night descended upon the lone and silent land. As darkness came on, the hunting cries to right and left and rear drew closer, so close that more than once they sent surges of fear through the toiling dogs, throwing them into short-lived panics. At the conclusion of one such panic, when he and Henry had got the dogs back into the traces, Bill said, I wish they hadn't striked game somewheres and go away, leave us alone. They do get on the nerves horrible, Henry sympathized. They spoke no more until camp was made. Henry was bending over and adding ice to the babbling pot of beans when he startled, was startled by the sound of a blow, an exclamation coming from Bill, and a sharp, snarling cry of pain from among the dogs. He straightened up in time to see a dim form disappearing across the snow into the shelter of the dark. And then he saw Bill, standing amid the dogs, half triumphant, half crestfallen, in one hand a stout club, and in the other a tail, part of the body of a sun-cured salmon. It got half of it, he announced, but I got a whack at it just the same. Did you hear it squeal? What it looked like, Henry asked. Couldn't see, but it had four legs and a mouth and hair and looked like any dog. Well, it must be a tame wolf, I reckon. Damn tame, whatever it is, coming in here, feeding time, getting its whack of fish. Well, that night, when supper was finished and they sat on the oblong box and pulled at their pipes, the circle of gleaming eyes drew in even closer than before. I wish they'd sprung up a bunch of moose or something and go away and leave us alone, Bill said. Henry grunted with an intonation that was not all sympathy, and for a quarter of an hour they sat in silence, Henry staring at the fire, Bill at the circle of eyes that burned in the darkness just beyond the firelight. I wished we was pulling into McGurry's right now, he began again. Shut up your wishing and your croaking, Henry burst out angrily. Your stomach's sour, that's what's ailing you. Swallow a spoonful of soda. You'll sweeten up wonderful and be more pleasant company. Well, in the morning, Henry was aroused by fervid blasphemy that proceeded from the mouth of Bill. Henry propped himself up on an elbow and looked to see his comrades standing among the dogs beside the replenished fire his arms raised in objurgation, and his face distorted with passion. Hello, Henry called. What's up now? Frog's gone, came the answer. No, I tell you, yes. Henry leaped out of the blankets to the dogs. He counted them with care and then joined his partner in cursing the power of the wild that had robbed them of another dog. Frog was the strongest of the bunch, Bill pronounced finally. He ain't no fool dog neither, Henry added. And so was recorded the second epitaph in two days. A gloomy breakfast was eaten. The four remaining dogs were harnessed to the sled. The day was a repetition of the day that had gone before. The men 
toiled without speech about the face of the frozen world, the silence unbroken, save the cries of their pursuers, that unseen hung upon their rear. With the coming of night, in the mid-afternoon, the cries sounded closer as the pursuers drew in, according to their custom, and the dogs grew excited, frightened, guilty of panics that tangled the traces and further depressed the two young men, the two men. There, that'll fix you fool critters, Bill said with satisfaction that night, standing erect at completion of his task. Henry left the cooking and came to see. Not only had his partner tied the dogs up, but he'd tied them, after the Indian fashion, with sticks. About the neck of each dog, he'd fastened a leather thong. To this, and so as to close the neck that the dog couldn't get his teeth to it, he'd tied a stout stick, five or six feet in length. The other end of the stick, in turn, was made fast to a stake in the ground by means of a leather thong. The dog wasn't able to gnaw through the leather at his own end of the stick, and the stick prevented him from getting at the leather fastened at the other end. Henry nodded his approval. It's the only contraption that'll ever hold one ear, he said. He can gnaw through leather clean as a knife and just about half as quick. They'll all be there in the morning hunky-dory. You just bet they will, Bill affirmed. If one of them turns up missing... I'll go without my coffee. They just know we ain't loaded to kill, Henry remarked at bedtime, indicating the gleaming circle that hemmed them in. If we could put a couple of shots into them, they'd be more respectful. They come closer every night. Get the firelight out of your eyes and look hard there. Did you see that one? For some time, the two men amused themselves watching the movement of vague forms on the edge of the firelight. By looking closely and steadily at where a pair of eyes burned in the darkness, the form of the animal would slowly take shape. They could even see these forms move at times. A sound among the dogs attracted the men's attention. One ear was uttering quick, eager whines, lunging at the length of his stick toward the darkness, and desisting now and again in order to make frantic attacks on the stick with his teeth. Look at that, Bill. Henry whispered, full into the firelight, with a stealthy, sidelong movement, glided a dog-like animal. It moved with commingling trust and daring, cautiously observing the men, its attention fixed on the dogs. One ear strained the full length of the stick toward the intruder and whined with eagerness. That fool one ear don't seem much smart, Bill said in a low tone. It's a she-wolf, Henry whispered back. And that accounts for Fatty and Frog. She's the decoy for the pack. She draws out the dog and then all the rest pitches in and eats him up. A fire crackled. Log fell apart with a loud sputtering noise. A sound of it, the strange animal leaked back into the darkness. Henry, I'm a-thinking, Bill announced. Thinking what? I'm a-thinking that was the last one I lambasted with the club. Ain't the slightest doubt in the world, was Henry's response. And right here I want to remark, Bill went on, that that animal's familiarity with campfires is suspicious and immoral. 
Oh, it knows for certain more than the self-respecting wolf ought to know, Henry agreed. A wolf that knows enough to come in with the dogs at feeding time has had experiences. Old villain had a dog once that ran away with the wolves, Bill cogitates aloud. Ought to know I shot it out of a pack in a moose pasture over on Little Stick, and old villain cried like a baby. I hadn't seen it for three years, he said. Been's with the wolves all that time. I reckon you've called the turn, Bill. That wolf's a dog, and it's eaten fish many's the time from the hand of man. And if I get a chance at it, that wolf that's a dog will be just meat, Bill declared. We can't afford to lose no more animals. But you only got three cartridges, Henry objected. I'll wait for a dead sure shot, was the reply. In the morning, Henry renewed the fire cooked breakfast to the accompaniment of his partner's snoring. "'You were sleeping just too comfortable for anything,' Henry told him as he routed him out for breakfast. "'I hadn't the heart to rouse you.' Though Bill began to eat sheepishly, he noticed his cup was empty and started to reach for the pot, but the pot was beyond arm's length and beside Henry. "'Say, Henry,' he chided gently, "'ain't you forgot some?' Henry looked about with great carefulness and shook his head. Bill held up the empty cup. You don't get no coffee, Henry announced. Ain't run out? Bill asked anxiously. No. Ain't thinking it'll hurt my digestion? No. Then it's just warm and anxious I'm to hearing from you to explain yourself, he said. Spanker's gone, Henry answered. Without haste. With the air of one resigned to misfortune, Bill turned his head and, from where he sat, counted the dogs. How'd it happen? he asked apathetically. Henry shrugged his shoulders. Don't know, lest one or ear gnawed him loose. He could have done it himself, that's for sure. That darn cuss, Bill spoke gravely and slowly, with no hint of the anger that was raging within him. Just because he couldn't chew himself loose, he chews Spanker loose. Well, Spanker's trouble's over anyway. I guess he's digested by this time and converting over the landscape in the bellies of twenty different wolves, was Henry's epitaph on this, the latest lost dog. Have some coffee, Bill. But Bill shook his head. Go on, Henry pleaded, elevating the pot. Bill shoved his cup aside. I'll be ding-dong-danged if I do, and I said I wouldn't if any dog turned up missing, and I won't. Darn good coffee, Henry said enticingly. Bill was stubborn, ate a dry breakfast, washed down with a mumble curses at one ear for the trick he played. I'll tie them up out of reach of each other tonight, Bill said as they took the trail. They'd traveled little more than a hundred yards when Henry, who was in front, bent down and picked up something with which his snowshoe had collided. It was dark. He couldn't see it, but he recognized it by the touch. He flung it back so it struck the sled and bounced along until it fetched up on Bill's snowshoes. Maybe you'll need that in your business, Henry said. Bill uttered an exclamation. It was all that was left of Spanker, the stick with which he'd been tied. 
They ate him and hide and all, Bill announced. Sticks as clean as a whistle. They ate the leather off in both hands. A damn hungry. Henry, and they'll have you and me guessing before this trip's over. Henry laughed defiantly. I ain't been trailed this way by wolves before, but I've gone through a whole lot of worse and held my hell. Takes more than a handful of them pesky critters to do for yours truly, Bill, my son. I don't know. I don't know, Bill muttered ominously. Well, you know all right when we pull into McGurry's. I ain't feeling especially enthusiastic, Bill persisted. You're off color. That's what's the matter with you, Henry dogmatized. What you need is quinine. I'm going to dose you up stiff as soon as we make McGurry's. Well, Bill grunted his disagreement with the diagnosis and lapsed into silence. The day was like that, like all days. Light came at nine, twelve o'clock, the southern horizon warmed by the unseen sun. Then began the cold gray of afternoon that would merge three hours later into night. It was just after the sun's futile effort to appear that Bill slipped the rifle from under the sled lashings and said, You keep right on, Henry. I'm going to see what I can see. You better stick by the sled, his partner protested. We've only got three cartridges, and then there's no telling what might happen. Who's croaking now? Bill demanded triumphantly. Henry made no reply, plodded on alone, though often he cast anxious glances back at the gray solitude where his partner disappeared. An hour later, taking advantage of the cutoffs around which the sled had to go, Bill arrived. They're scattering and ranging all along wide, he said, keeping up with us and looking for game at the same time. You see, they're as sure of us, only they know they got to wait to get us. In the meantime, they're willing to pick up anything edible that comes along handy. You mean they think they're sure of us? Henry objected pointedly, but Bill ignored him. I seen some of them. They're pretty thin. They ain't had a bite in weeks, I reckon. Outside of Fatty, Frog, and Spanker, there ain't so many of them that that didn't go too far. They're remarkable thin. The ribs are like washboards, and their stomachs is right up against their backbones. They're pretty desperate, I can tell you. They're going mad yet. And then watch out. A few minutes later, Henry, who was now traveling behind the sled, emitted a low warning whistle. Bill turned and looked and then quietly stopped the dogs. To the rear, from around the last bend, plainly into view on the very trail they'd just covered, trotted with a particular sliding, effortless gait. When they halted, it halted, throwing up its head, regarding them steadily with nostrils that twitched as it caught and studied the scent of them. It's the she-wolf, Bill answered. The dogs had lain down in the snow and he walked past them to join his partner in the sled. Together they watched the strange animal that pursued them for days and had already accomplished the destruction of half their dog team. After searching scrutiny, the animal trotted forward a few steps. This had repeated several times till it was short a hundred yards away. It paused, head up, close by a clump of spruce trees, and with a slight and scent studied the outfit of the watching men. 
It looked at them in a strangely wistful way, after the manner of a dog, but in its wistfulness there was none of the dog's affection. It was a wistfulness bred of hunger, as cruel as its own fangs, merciless as the frost itself. It was large for a wolf, gaunt frame advertising the lines of an animal that was among the largest of its kind. Stands pretty close to two and a half feet at the shoulders, Henry commented. I'll bet it ain't far from five feet long. Kind of strange color for a wolf, was Bill's criticism. I never seen a red wolf before. Looks almost cinnamon to me. The animal was certainly not cinnamon-colored. Its coat was the true wolf coat. The dominant color was gray, and yet there was to it a faint reddish hue, a hue that was baffling, appeared and disappeared. It's more like an illusion of the vision, now gray, distinctively gray, and again giving hints and glints of a vague redness of color, not classifiable in terms of ordinary experience. Looks for all the world like a big husky sled dog, Bill said. I wouldn't be surprised to see it wag its tail. Hello, you husky, he called. Come here, you whatever your name is. Ain't you a bit scared of you? Henry laughed. Bill waved his hand at it threateningly and shouted loudly, but the animal betrayed no fear. The only change in it they could notice was an accession of alertness. It still regarded them with the merciless wistfulness of hunger. They were meat, and it was hungry, and it would go in and eat them if it dared. Look here, Henry, Bill said, unconsciously lowering his voice to a whisper because of what he imitated. You've got three cartridges, but it's a dead shot. Could miss it. It's got away with three of our dogs. We ought to put a stop to it. What do you say? Henry nodded his consent. Bill cautiously slipped the gun from under the sled lashing. The gun was on the way to his shoulder, but never got there. For in that instant, the she-wolf leaped sideways from the trail into the clump of spruce trees and disappeared. The two men looked at each other. Henry whistled long and comprehendingly. I might have knowed it, Bill tried it himself aloud as he replaced the gun. Of course a wolf knows enough to come in with dogs at feeding time. Know all about shooting irons, I tell you right now, Henry, that critter's the cause of all our troubles. We had six dogs at present time, instead of three if it wasn't for her. And I tell you right now, Henry, I'm going to get her. She's too smart to be shot out in the open. I'm going to lay for her, and I'll bushwhack as sure as my name is Bill. Well, you needn't stray too far off after doing it, Miss Partner admonished. If that pack ever starts to jump you, them three cartridges would be no more than three whoops in hell. Them damn animals is damn hungry. Once they start in, they will get you sure, Bill. While well, they camped early that night, the three dogs couldn't drag the sled so fast nor for so many hours as could six, and they were showing unmistakable signs of playing out. And the men went to bed early, Bill first seeing to it the dogs were tied out of gnawing range of each other. So near did the wolves approach that the dogs became frantic with terror. 
and it was necessary to replenish the fire from time to time in order to keep the adventurous marauders at safer distances. I've heard sailors talk of sharks following the ship, Bill remarked as he crawled into the blankets after one such replenishing of the fire. Well, them wolves is land sharks. They know their business better than we do, and they ain't holding our trail this way for their health. They're going to get us. They're going to sure get us, Henry. And they've got half of got you already talking like that, Henry retorted sharply. A man's half licked when he says he is, and you're half eaten from the way you're going on about it. They got away with better men than you and me, Bill answered. Oh, shut your croaking. You're making me all fired tired. Henry rolled over in angry anger at his side. He was surprised that Bill made no similar display of temper. This wasn't Bill's way, for he was easily angered by sharp words. Henry thought over it long before he went to sleep, and as it was his eyes fluttering down and he dozed off, the thought in his mind was, there's no mistake in it. Bill's almighty blue. I'll have to cheer him up tomorrow. Wow, they're getting closer. That's chapter two of White Fang. Coming up on our next show Saturday night, we will do the chapter three called The Hunger Cry. Cool. All right, that's uh, White Fang from 1906, first published by uh, Jack London. Fantastic story. I hope you're enjoying it. I will see you all again on Saturday night. We'll have another show for you. That will be New Year's Eve. We will not be counting down to the new year on this show. I've got plans. But uh, we will be uh, closing out the year with one final show before we begin 2023. I will see you again on Saturday. Thanks for watching, subscribing, liking the show, following. Until Saturday, this is the Jay Sheldon Show. Good night. <laughs>